0: Wake up, freedom's on the rise.
1: be one of the next global leaders, we know the world's tomorrow is being shaped by the young leaders being trained today. That's why we at the World Economic Forum created our Young Global Leaders Program, and by becoming a member, you could be making a strong impact in shaping the future of humanity. Are you interested in taking part in things like creating solutions for the global economy, strategizing to solve the climate crisis, and participating in sacrificial killings? The world needs more leadership. And that's where we come in, training tomorrow's global leaders. Because happiness, truth, and democracy are powerful forces that are never going to be defeated unless we have strong leaders who drink blood shaping society. Regular classes, visionary networking, and secret ceremonies in the woods are just some of the aspects that set the Young Global Leaders program apart from any other program on the planet. You could join an impressive list of Young Global Leader alumni leftists that the world World knows and is helpless to do anything about, such as Macron in France, Trudeau in Canada, Gavin Newsom, and Bill Gates. And thanks to censorship, the agenda of these great leaders continues to move forward without the world knowing what their agenda actually is. And just think, you could join these elites helping usher in the much-needed Fourth Industrial Revolution. Are you someone that looks trustworthy? If so, we could use you to help capture the minds of the world's population while staying in line with the principles of black magic that our global initiatives and spiritual warfare require us to adhere to. Because building a better tomorrow requires trust and commitment. And because we care, Our young global leaders know that acting on behalf of humanity involves committing crimes against humanity while having a narrative that says we're helping humanity. Some of our alumni are currently helping shape the future of humanity with initiatives that you might have already heard about, like implementing policy around clean, renewable energy protecting third world communities from disease, microchipping the population without them knowing, and funding initiatives to make healthcare available to everyone. Young Global Leader membership is right for you if you're someone that believes innovation is the key to solving social challenges. You were never held as a child and compensates for unresolved psychological trauma by asserting dominance and control over others. If you become a member of the Young Global Leader program, Best of all, when World Economic Founder Forum Klaus Schwab isn't laying on a rock sunning himself. You'll have a chance to experience his teachings directly to help guide and indoctrinate you on the core principles of communism and fascism, which when implemented, will help save democracy. Young global leaders are on a mission and aren't going to stop until everyone on the planet has the right to own nothing their genes are edited to make them less human, and everyone on the planet believes that the decisions we're making for them are being made by them. So we've got work to do, because free will isn't gonna just accidentally go away. To join the mission, go to younggloballeaders.org to apply and see if you have the right character, mindset, and bloodlines to be one of the next global leaders.
2: Johnny Vedmore recently published an article exposing the hidden history of the mysterious World Economic Forum, who is currently waging war against the world with their Great Reset. Founder and director Klaus Schwab's three mentors were the most influential people in America's thermonuclear deterrence program, as well as leading proponents of a one-world government. Henry Kissinger recruited Klaus Schwab at the Harvard International Seminar, which was funded by the CIA. During this time, Kissinger was focused on global governance and depopulation. But it was with the Council on Foreign Relations that Kissinger became a major player, by war gaming psychological operations involving America's growing thermonuclear weapons arsenal, and writing the book on nuclear weapons and foreign policy. John K. Galbraith was a highly influential economist who helped Klaus Schwab create the World Economic Forum. Galbraith was an economist at Harvard who traveled to Germany in 1938 to study land policies under Hitler's National Socialist government. From there, he went to work on an advisory committee for FDR's New Deal. After World War II ended, his work shifted into nuclear weapons. Galbraith was tasked with evaluating the overall economic effects of the wartime bombing. He interrogated Nazi war criminal Albert Speer and was sent to Hiroshima and Nagasaki to evaluate the damage caused by the nuclear weapons attack. By 1968, Galbraith had joined Kissinger in his pursuit of a one-world government. And it was during this time that Kissinger introduced Galbraith to Klaus Schwab, along with Herman Kahn, who in 1967 suggested subverting democracy by training a select group of global leaders, which later became the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders. Both Kissinger and Galbraith were heavily involved in the religion of thermonuclear deterrent warfare. But Herman Kahn was, as the New Yorker puts it, the heavyweight of the megadeath intellectuals and is commonly referred to as the real Dr. Strangelove. Kahn wrote the official military policy on nuclear deterrence and believed that if everyone had nuclear weapons, the world would know peace. By the late 60s, Kahn was pushing for a European Union and joined Galbraith in 1970 on a European speaking tour to support Klaus Schwab's recruitment drive for the first European management symposium now known as the World Economic Forum. And while they were doing that, Klaus Schwab helped merge his father's nuclear weapons company into a company that he then directed to illegally build nuclear weapons for the South African government. In 1972, the Club of Rome published The Limits to Growth, which planted the seeds of the depopulation agenda. And while Kahn, Kissinger, and Galbraith helped Schwab get started... What really brought him the international support he was hoping for was when he introduced the ideas of depopulation. In 1972, the Club of Rome's founder was invited by Schwab to make the keynote speech in 1973. As controversial as it was, even Herman Kahn opposed it, the World Economic Forum suddenly caught the attention and financial support of powerful elitists everywhere and blew up to what it has become today. The article suggests that Schwab's supervillain persona is a deliberate marketing tactic to gain the attention from those who seek power and wealth to join Klaus Schwab as stakeholders in society. The author believes that the World Economic Forum is reaching its maximum level of expansion before its inevitable collapse because eventually people will fight back But they already know that, and all they really seem to care about is world government, depopulation, and thermonuclear war. Reporting for Infowars, this is Greg Reese.
3: Welcome everyone to Freedoms Rising, episode number 15. Today is June 17th, 2022, and you are participating in The Rise of Freedom. That opening clip was from Awaken with JP, and the title of that was The World Economic Forum, A Young Global Leaders Program. And then after that, you heard from Greg Reese, the Megadeth, Intellectuals of the Great Reset. And uh, man, that was a powerful clip there. Uh, And we're going to be getting into more of those items today. The young global leaders from the glorious Wikipedia article. And I'm saying that uh, just because I don't really think Wikipedia is the greatest reference, but we're going to read what they have written about the Young Global Leaders here. And it says, The Forum of Young Global Leaders, or Young Global Leaders YGL, was created by Klaus Schwab, founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. The Young Global Leaders, a non-profit organization managed from Geneva, Switzerland, is under the supervision of the Swiss government. The program was founded by Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum in 1993 under the name... Young, or sorry, Global Leaders for Tomorrow, and was renamed to the Young Global Leaders in 2004. Schwab created the group with $1 million, won from the Dan David Prize, and the inaugural 2005 class comprised 237 young global leaders. Skipping down in that Wikipedia article under the controversy section, We see Daniel Crenshaw, a Republican Texas congressman, was selected as a young global leader in 2019. According to podcaster Tim Poole, Crenshaw explained that the young global leader list is an editorial list of prominent young people and there are no communications of agreement before being put on their website. In 2017, Klaus Schwab said that, Russian President Vladimir Putin had been recognized as a young global leader and also mentioned Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Quote, I have to say, when I mention now names like Mrs. Angela Merkel and even Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. But what we are so proud of now is the young generation like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. We penetrate the cabinet. So, yesterday, I was at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau, and I know that half of his cabinet, or even more than half of his cabinet, are actually young global leaders, end quote. Klaus had mentioned Putin a second time, as shown in documentaries Das Forum, which goes into behind-the-scenes footage of the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, and in the clip, Klaus states, quote, Mrs. Merkel, Tony Blair, even Putin, they were all young global leaders before, end quote. There is no record of Putin or Trudeau ever being named as young global leaders on the official website because their website only puts members from year 2017 to present time. Trudeau has spoken at the World Economic Forum in Davos several times, while Putin has also spoken regularly at gatherings and has Known Klaus Schwab since 1992. According to Putin, that was when they began a close relationship and that he regularly attended events that Schwab hosted. Long before he even became president of Russia, Schwab likely refers to Putin as one of the young global leaders because their relationship dates back to 1992 which is likely the year that the Forum of the Young Global Leaders was founded. Putin was 40 years old at the time. Uh, Getting away from Wikipedia, we see another article here from Covert Geopolitics, geopolitics geopolitics.co. World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders Revealed from February 22nd of 2022. It says, throughout its Young Global Leaders Program. The World Economic Forum has been instrumental in shaping a world order that undermines all democratic principles. For several decades, this program has nurtured compliant leaders acting as WEF agents in governments around the world. The consequences are far-reaching and may turn out to be devastating for humanity. This is an excerpt from Klaus here in the article. I have to say, then, I mention names like Mrs. Merkel, even Vladimir Putin, and so on, as they have all been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. We already read that in the Wikipedia article, so I'll skip ahead. In this World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders Revealed article from geopolitics.co. In 1992, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum launched a program initially called Global Leaders of Tomorrow. In 2004, this program was turned into the Forum for Young Global Leaders, which I covered in my book, The Global Coup Coup d'Etat, a five-year program of indoctrination into WEF's principles and goals. Keep in mind that note is from the author of the article, not uh, myself. I'm reading from the article and uh, back to it here. The aim was, and is, to find suitable future leaders for the emerging global society. The program has since its inception been, has included politicians, business leaders, royalty, journalists, performers, and other crucial influencers who have excelled in their field, but have not yet turned 40 years of age, originally 43 in order to include Angela Merkel. It has since grown into an extensive global network of dedicated leaders with enormous resources and influence, all working to implement the technocratic plans of the World Economic Forum in their respective nations and fields. As Klaus Schwab says in the introductory quote, it has become very successful. Already in the first year, 1992, a number of highly influential candidates were elected among 200. Selected were global profiles such as Angela Merkel, Tony Blair, Nicolas Sarkozy, Bill Gates, Bono, Richard Branson, Horma Alela, Jose Manuel bariso and more examples here in the article are listed Crown Princess Victoria of Sweden, Crown Prince Hay Khan of Norway, Crown Prince Frederick of Denmark, Prince Jamie de Bourbon de Parnay of the Netherlands, Prince Rima Bent Bandar al Suad, Ambassador for Saudi Arabia in the USA, Hassan Ardan, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Alexander de Croo, Prime Minister of Belgium, Emmanuel Macron, President of France. Sana Marin, Prime Minister of Finland, Carlos Alvareto Casada, President of Costa Rica, Fasal Albrahim, Minister of Economy of Planning of Saudi Arabia, Shana Amanath, Minister of Environment, Climate Change and Technology in Mald- Moldovas. let see, it says Maldives, okay, not Moldovas. <coughs> Ida Yukin. Uh, the former prime minister, and of environment for Denmark. And the list goes on and on. That, that I thought another big notable name here. There's about twenty other names listed here, but I'll I'll skip through. But the one at the bottom is Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Skype. Oh, there's a few other business ones here. Uh, Nicholas Zinstrom, founder of Skype. Jacob Wallenberg, the chairman of investor. Uh, Jimmy Whale, founder of Wikipedia. So that's pretty interesting group. It says also here, Leonardo DiCaprio, and actor and climate activist. That's interesting. So these are all young global leaders of the Klaus Schwabian. And uh, continuing on with the article here. The purpose from the beginning has been to identify and advance a future-oriented global agenda focusing on issues at the in- intersection of the public and private sectors. Public-private partnership is one of the cornerstones of the World Economic Forum philosophy, that is, a merger between the state and large companies, also known as corporativism, with the aim of solving global problems in a more, quote, effective way. The choice... Of leaders clearly reflects this aspiration so you could call that corporativism like they did here in the article or you could call that corporate fascism as it's known when the state and corporations become so uh you know revolving door backhand and room deals backroom deals uh under the table stuff happening i you don't know Deregulation for certain companies, uh, funding going this way and that way to these uh, stakeholders, right, in this uh, global fascist, corporate fascist scheme. Uh, that's all my opinion here, not from the article, but we'll go back to the article. The Young Global Leaders Group was initially instructed to identify the major challenges of the 21st century. These included peace, the environment, education, technology, and health, areas which these upcoming leaders could exploit politically, economically, and culturally in the new millennium. Partners for global leaders of tomorrow in 2000 were large global companies such as the Coca-Cola Company, Ernst & Young, Volkswagen, and BP Amoco. These could contribute to the agenda by, quote, playing an active role in developing and implementing the concept of GLT Project, the partners can therefore actively participate in development of GLT programs, representative of the partner companies as well as their guests are invited to GLT meetings, unquote. Since the Global Leaders of Tomorrow was turned into Young Global Leaders in 2004, partners such as Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Google, and J.P. Morgan and Chase with alumni from the program have also participated as sponsors. The ultimate consequence of both public and private partnerships of these target areas is the creation of a largely tyrannical social contract in which the individual has become subordinated to the powerful interests. Noble goals of creating a better world have also been kidnapped. This is especially evident in the context of the partnership between the WEF and the UN and the implementation of Global Goals Agenda 2030, through the application of the technologies of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. This means that the democratic principles and divisions of power of the 20th century have largely been completely undermined and instead replaced by the new global class that shapes our common future based on their own interests. This has led to the de facto. Pre- Privatization of both national governments and international organizations, where lobbyists are no longer kept in the lobby but have moved into the seat of power, shaping policies directly affecting our lives. What this means has become particularly evident since the pandemic was declared in March of 2020. In addition, leading multinational investment management corporations such as BlackRock, led by the World Economic Forum's own Larry Fink, has consistently moved their position forward. German economist and journalist Ernst Wolff believes that many of the national leaders, including the Young Global Leaders Program, have been selected for their willingness to carry out the tough agenda of lockdowns in recent years without asking any questions, and that their impending failure as evidenced by the growing dissatisfaction of the masses and will be used as no excuse to create a new form of global government where the old nation's states become largely obsolete. A new global digital currency with universal basic income can then be gradually introduced to replace our doomed monetary system. This conclusion partially pers- Uh, partly coincides with my own. It is also supported by Paul Raskin's scenario for the Great Transition Initiative on how a totalitarianism, quote, new earth order, unquote, is established to be replaced in the long run by a global democratic government, earth federation, with a world constitution. The COVID-19 pandemic has underscored the catastrophic failure of an every country for itself approach to public health and national economic interests rather than global needs continued to dominate discussions of political, of climate policy, paving the path forward toward climate chaos. So I think, you know, Tyler, again, excerpting here that that part of the article was saying the COVID-19 pandemic really revealed that, um, this is the way that they'll now be discussing things is that, Oh, you know, see how we couldn't handle it all properly. And so now we need these national, you know, health agencies or, you know, international and global health agencies and, um, talking about climate policy and, uh, toward climate chaos, you know, and talking about how this global initiative to fix all of it, right. Uh, more justifying their position moving forward in the article, under the tricameral world parliament come the four main agencies of the earth federation government the world supreme court system the world executive and the world enforcement system and the world um Ombud- ombudsman jen t clark the great transition requires the earth constitution the vision is that a peaceful and harmonious world imbalance created through the establishment of the World Federation and the World Parliament, World Government, and World Court, these are ideas that have long circulated in the Club of Rome and closely connected to New Age circles. The question is how such a new global system of power would escape the fate of being kidnapped by the same interests that create our current corrupt and failing system. This is in view of those who support projects such as the Great Transition, initiated by the startup capital from Stephen Rockefeller. What is happening is rather a method of taking to their ultimate solution in the form of global technocratic control system. However, it is highly unlikely that this plan will succeed. Awareness is spreading like wildfire, and the panic of the elite increases as their narrative crumbles and people become more and more immune to the propaganda. Hence all the inquisitors and fact-checkers who diligently gatekeep the narrative and help steer public opinion in the quote-right unquote direction, they are surely to be trusted since, by example, David Roy Thompson, chairman of the Thompson Reuters Corporation, is an alumni of the Global Leaders of Tomorrow, class of 1993. Now, a headline in the article, a header. It is time to take control of our own destinies to avoid falling into new traps. Closing out the article. Thank you to investigative jur- journalist Cory Morningstar for the clip that inspired the blog article. Follow her blog on the wrong kind of green. And then there are several um citations made in the article here that we'll have in the notes. But uh, that gives you a little bit of a background to what the, you know, JP was talking about in that opening clip, which was a comedy sketch of sorts. But uh, JP is really pointing you to look into this, you know, these networks of people that are influenced and influencing the world by deploying the World Economic Forum strategies and, uh, you know, bringing us closer to this centralized world government, the one new world order, as it's known by as well. Uh, Moving forward in the episode today, I will be closing it out with a clip uh, talking more about economics, and uh, we'll be bringing back someone who's been on the show before along with Josh Seegerson. That's Tim Pachot, and Josh Seegerson will be on closing out the episode getting us an update on the economy and how things are going with the Federal Reserve and the uh impending calamity of the markets but we'll leave it to the folks who are more versed in those topics to give us an update uh but from now what I'd like to get into is another article from the Unlimited Hangout <clears throat> the Unlimited Hangout with Whitney Webb we've discussed many articles and research done by Whitney in the Biosci war. But today we'll be reading an article from Johnny Vinmore. Now, if you noticed in that opening clip from Greg Reese from Band.Video, Greg Reese an excellent reporter who makes uh, great little videos. And the article that we'll be reading today was inspired by Greg Reese. So we'll get to that article right now. I'm going to be reading from The Unlimited Hangout, with Whitney Webb her, her her uh website there an article by Johnny Venmore on March 10th 2022 and this article is going to give us more of an insight into the origins of the World Economic Forum and uh the influence of Henry Kissinger on that group on Klaus Schwab and maybe even as the article insinuates the CIA uh, having to do with the origination of that meeting between Klaus Schwab and Henry Kissinger, who was a major influence for Klaus and the direction that he's headed thus far. And uh, so starting into the article titled, Dr. Klaus Schwab or How the CFR Taught Me to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. And as a side note, before we get started, I'm not going to read the entire article. There's a section in the middle that we'll be leaving out having to do with John K. Calbreth, and also Herman Kahn, and those folks will be uh, needing to be looked into. For those who are interested in the article, you can read more there. But uh, all, it will be, in the essence of time today, just you know, skipping over some of the parts of this long, re- well-researched article by John Vinmore. So it starts out, the World Economic Forum wasn't simply the brainchild of Klaus Schwab, but was actually born out of a CIA-funded Harvard program headed by Henry Kissinger, who pushed the fruition by John Kenneth Calbreath and the real Dr. Strangelove Herman Kahn. This is the amazing story behind the real men who recruited Klaus Schwab, who helped him create the World Economic Forum, and who taught him to stop stop worrying about the love bomb. The World Economic Forum's recorded history has been manufactured to appear as though the organization was a strictly European creation, but this isn't so. In fact, Klaus Schwab and an elite American political team working in the shadows that aided him in creating the European-based globalist organization. If you have a decent knowledge of Klaus Schwab's history, you will know that he attended Harvard in 1960, where he would meet then professor henry a or sorry henry a kissinger a man with whom schwab would form a long lifelong relationship but as with most information from the annals of uh, from the annals of the world economic forum's history books what you've been told is not the full story in fact kissinger would recruit schwab at the international seminar at harvard which had been funded by the us central intelligence agency Although this funding was exposed the year in which Klaus Schwab left Harvard, the connection has gone largely unnoticed until now. My research indicates that the World Economic Forum is not a European creation in reality. It is an is it it is instead an operation which emanates from the public policy grandees of the Kennedy, Johnson and Nixon eras as of American politics all of whom has ties to the Council on Foreign Relations and the associated quote roundtable movements with a supporting role played by the Central Intelligence agencies of course the roundtable movements being uh, originated from Cecil Rhodes and uh, his Rhodesian Empire and the last will and testament of Cecil Rhodes talking about these you know ring within ring organizations of control and world domination and uh, you know had aspirations of conquest of the of the world governments through these round table movements and uh, subverting societies to move towards more of the you know as we'll talk about here the league of nations and council on foreign relations to the united nations to the world economic forum and bringing this you know stakeholder capitalism where the governments and the corporations are working together so back to the article there, was an, there were three extremely powerful and influential men, Kissinger among them, who would lead Klaus Schwab toward their ultimate goal of a complete American empire-aligned global domination via the creation of social and economic politics. In addition, two of the men were at the core of manufacturing the ever-present threat of global thermonuclear war. By examining these men through a wider context of the geopolitics of the period, I will show how their paths would cross and coalesce during the 1960s, how they recruited Klaus Schwab through the CIA-funded program, and how they were a real driving force behind the creation of the World Economic Forum. And now on to the section, Henry A. Kissinger. Heinz Alfred Kissinger was born in Bavaria, Germany, on the 27th of May, 1923, to Paula and Louise Kissinger. The family had been one of the many Jewish families fleeing the persecution in Germany to arrive in America in 1938. Kissinger would change his name to Henry at age 15 when arriving in America by way of brief immigration in London. His family would initially settle in the upper Manhattan with the young Henry Kissinger attending George Washington High School in 1942 Kissinger would enroll in the City College of New York but in early 1943 he was drafted into the US army on 19 on the 19th of June 1943 Kissinger would become a naturalized US citizen he would soon be assigned to the 84th infantry division where he would be recruited by the legendary Fritz Kramer, to work in the military intelligence units of the division. Kramer would fight alongside Kissinger during the Battle of the Bulge and would later become extremely influential in American politics during the post-war era, influencing future politicians, uh, politicians such as Donald Rumsfeld. Henry Kissinger would describe Kramer as being Quote, the greatest single influence in my formative years, unquote, in the New York article entitled The Myth of Henry Kissinger, written in 2020. The writer of that article, Thomas Meany, describes Kramer as a Nietzschean firebrand to the point of self-parody. He wore a monocle in his good eye to make his weak eye work harder. Kramer claimed to have spent time in Weimar, years fighting both communist and Nazi brown shirts in the streets. He had doctorates in political science and international law, and pursued a promising career at the League of Nations before fleeing in the U.S. in 1939. He warned Kissinger not to emulate, quote, cleverling, unquote, intellectuals and their bloodless cost-benefit analysis. Believing Kissinger to be, quote, musically attuned to history, unquote, he told him, quote, only if you do not calculate will you really have the freedom which distinguishes you from the little people, unquote. During World War II, whilst Kissinger was serving in the U.S. Counterintelligence Corps, he would be promoted to the rank of sergeant and would go to serve in the military intelligence reserve for many years after peace was declared. During that period, Kissinger would take charge of a team hunting down Gestapo officers and other Nazi officials who had been labeled as, quote, saboteurs, unquote. After the war in 1946, Kissinger would be reassigned to teach the European Command Intelligence School, a position he would continue to work in as a civilian after officially leaving the army. In 1950, Kissinger would graduate from Harvard with a degree in political science where he would study under William Yandel Elliott, and that might, yeah, I think it's Yandel, it might be Randall, but it's with a Y, who would eventually be a political advisor to six U.S. presidents and would also serve as a mentor to Zbigniew Brzezinski and Pierre Trudeau, among others. Yandel Elliot, along with many other star pupils, would serve as the key connectors between American national security establishment and the British roundtable movements. Embodied by the organizations such as Chatham House in the UK and the Council on Foreign Relations in the United States, they would also seek to impose global power structures shared by big business, the political elite, and academia. Kissinger would continue to study at Harvard, gaining his M.A. and Ph.D. at the prestigious university, but he he was also trying to forge a career path in intelligence, reportedly seeking recruitment as an FBI spy during this period. In 1951, Kissinger would be employed as a consultant for the Army's Operation Research Office Office where he would be trained in various forms of psychological warfare this awareness of psyops was reflected in his doctoral work during in his doctoral work during the period where his work on the congress of vienna and the consequences invoked thermonuclear weapons as its opening gambit which has also made an otherwise dull piece of work a little more interesting by 1954, Kissinger was hoping to become a junior professor at Harvard, but instead, the dean of Harvard at the time, McGreg- McG- McGeorge Bundy, another pupil of William Yandel Elliott, recommended Kissinger to the Council on Foreign Relations. At the Council on Foreign Relations, Kissinger would start managing a study group of nuclear weapons from 1956 to 1958. Kissinger also became the director of special studies for the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. David Rockefeller was vice president of the CFR during this period, as well as going on to direct multiple panels to produce reports of national defense, which would gain international attention. In 1957, Kissinger would still his place as a leading establishment figure on thermonuclear war after publishing... Nuclear weapons and foreign policy, a book published for the Council on Foreign Relations by Harper's and Brothers. It just seems amazing to me, just cutting in here, that Henry Kissinger is still relevant when he was doing, you know, these types of things way back in the in the fifties, you know, and is still someone who's influential in American politics and uh, definitely not one of the league of young you know influencers from the world economic forum the global young leaders any longer is he this guy is definitely getting has to be getting up there in age you know maybe it's a uh, you know we'd have to ask him how he's remained uh in not like ended up like a old bumbling old oh, joe biden there you know and now the article goes into quite a bit more depth on kissinger there and there's a video uh, also linked with an interview from him in uh, 1958, mm-hmm. Mike Wallace interviews uh, Henry Kissinger. So that's in the article as well. There you can find that. And we're just going to skip down a little bit in the article uh, where it t- starts to tie in a little bit more to Klaus Schwab. And let's see I Kissinger was an executive director at the International Seminar, which Schwab often mentions when recollecting, when recollecting, uh, looking at my recorder, making sure it was still recording, when recollecting his time spent at Harvard on the 16th of April 1967, it would be reported that various Harvard programs had been receiving funds from the Central Intelligence Agency This included $135,000 of funding for Henry Kissinger's international seminar, funding which Kissinger claimed he was unaware and had from the U.S. intelligence agency. The CIA's involvement in funding Kissinger's international seminars was exposed by a report by Humphrey Dorman, the assistant to Franklin L. Ford, who was the dean of the Faculty of Artists and Science. Humphrey Dorman's report, written in 1967, only centered on the CIA's funding from between 1961 to 1966. But Kissinger's International Seminar, Seminar, which had received the most funding out of all the CIA's funded Harvard programs, would still run through 1967. Klaus Schwab had arrived at Harvard in 1965. On the 15th of April, 1967, the Harvard Crimson would publish an article attributed to no author concerning Dorman's report that stated, quote, there were no strings attached to the aid so the government could not directly influence research or prevent its results from being published, unquote. The dismissive article entitled CIA financial links nonchalantly closes out by stating, quote, in in any case, where the university to refuse to accept CIA research grants, the shadowy agency would have little trouble channeling its affairs through another agency, unquote. Uh, the evidence points to Klaus Schwab having been recruited by Kissinger into his circle of, quote, roundtable, unquote, imperialists via a CIA-funded program at Harvard University. In addition, the year he graduated would also have been the year in which he was revealed to have been a CIA funded program. The CIA funded similar uh, sorry, starting again, the CIA funded seminars would introduce Schwab to the extremely well connected American policymaker, who would help him to create what would become the most powerful European public policy institute, the World Economic Forum. By 1969, Kissinger would be sitting at the head of the U.S. National Security Council, of which the sitting president, Richard Nixon, would, quote, enhance the importance of, unquote, during his administration. Kissinger was assistant to the president for national security affairs between the 2nd of December 1968 to the 3rd of November 1975, serving Concurrently, as Richard Nixon's Secretary of State from the 22nd of September 1963, Kissinger would dominate the making of U.S. foreign policy during the Nixon era, and the system he would bring to the National Security Council would seek to combine features of the systems previously implemented by Eisenhower and Johnson. Henry Kissinger, who had been one of the people to manufacture tensions between thermal nuclear powers over the previous two decades, was now to act as, quote, peacemaker during the Nixon period. He would turn his focus to the European standoff and would seek to relax the tensions between the West and Russia. He negotiated the strategic arms limitation talks culminating in the SALTI Treaty and the Anti-Ballistic Missiles Treaty, Kissinger was attempting to rebrand himself as a trusted statesman and diplomat. In the second term of President Richard Nixon's administration, their attention would turn to the relations of Western Europe. Richard Nixon would describe 1973 as being, quote, the year of Europe, unquote. The United States' focus would be on supporting the states of the European Economic Community, the EEC, which had become... The economic rivals to the U.S. by the early 1970s. Kissinger grasped the quote year of Europe unquote concept and pushed on agenda not only of economic reform but also arguing to strengthen and revitalize that which he considered to be the quote decaying force unquote the American or the North Atlantic Treaty Organization NATO. Through his period Kissinger would also promote global governance. Years later, Henry Kissinger would make an opening address at the World Economic Forum in 1980 conference, uh, telling the elites at Davos, for the first time in history, foreign policy is truly global. That was Henry A. Kissinger. And there's references, there's lots of hyperlinks, there's lots of clickable items in this article. It then goes on, this is Tyler obviously cutting away from the article for a minute, to uh, John K. Calbraith and another extensive uh, background and sort of history on that individual and Herman Kahn. And in the essence of time, we're not going to read the entire part of all of that because this article is quite lengthy. And uh, what I will do is skip ahead to the section called Swab's Three Mentors. Kahn, Kissinger, and Calbraith... All had three of the most influential people in America with regards to thermonuclear deterrence, foreign policy creation, and public policy making, respectively. Most of the focus throughout these men's careers had been on Europe and the Cold War. However, their varying roles and other important events of the period all have the potential to easily distract researchers from other more subversive and and well-hidden events. These three powerful Americans were all linked with each other in various ways, but one interesting and notable thread in particular ties these men together during a period between 1966, the creation of the Kissinger-led 22-man panel of advisors to help, quote, shape European policy, unquote, through 1971, and the founding of the World Economic Forum. All three men were members of the Council on Foreign Relations the American branch of the Anglo-American imperialist roundtable movement, Kissinger already had its ties to the CFR, having been recruited by them straight after graduation. Galbraith had reportedly reassigned his membership of the CFR in the, quote, highly public way in 1972, stating that the CFR was boring and telling a journalist, quote, most of the proceedings involved a level of banality so deep that the only question they raised is whether one should sit there through all of them, Although there is no public date when Galbraith became a member of the CFR, he had written for their publications from as early as 1958 The Rival Economic Theories in India, being printed in Foreign Affairs, the official CFR journal magazine. Khan also had been found... Publishing some of his essays through the CFR, writing the piece quote, "Our Alternatives in Europe" unquote, in July 1966, and quote, "If Negotiations Fail" unquote, in July of 1968, both while working as an official advisor to the State Department before the 1960s, these extreme, uh, these three extremely influential American intellectuals had been deeply involved in trying to understand the problems of the post-war Europe and mapping out the future of the war-stricken continent. Galbraith had traveled extensively throughout Europe, including studied policies in Germany during the Third Reich, and after the collapse of Hitler's Germany, Galbraith would also go on to study the Soviet systems in much the same way. Galbraith's influence over the future president John F. Kennedy from a very early age, cannot be understated. And Galbraith was powerful enough to see JFK being withdrawn. uh, Sorry, he was starting over. He was powerful enough to see JFK begin withdrawing troops from Vietnam on his recommendations. When Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Galbraith would be one of the men to, to draft the incoming president's initial address to the nation but galbraith was also soon to be pushed off to the sidelines during his turmoil of the during the turmoil of the 1960s galbraith would be close with henry kissinger both men being harvard professors members of the cfr and both men having the same goal of making europe stable so that the continent was well defined uh, defended against any political soviet aggression to Galbraith and Kissinger, and also to the wider American political establishment, Europe was the main threat to not only global stability but also to prevailing American hegemony in general. The relative stability in Europe during the post-war period was perceived to be due to the thermonuclear standoff, and from every and from very early on, Kissinger identified this traumatic. Uh, sorry, Kissinger identified this dynamic and began to manipulate the situation for the benefit of American supremacy. Henry Kissinger was not alone in trying to understand the complex dynamics at play in relation to thermonuclear deterrence and how it affected policymaking. Herman Kahn was the leading figure on thermonuclear strat- strategic planning during the same period, and Kissinger worked on concerning the same subject matter from the 1950 onward would see him cross paths with Kahn on multiple occasions. Kahn offered Kissinger something that which all politicians and policymakers crave, the ability to predict the future of the events which, with relative accuracy. Kahn was a veritable prophet concerning the technological advancements of the not-so-distant future. And his work, although often stoic and bereft of human emotion, has stood up very well to the test of time. Kahn and Kissinger's goals would overlap during the mid and late 1960s, and as the threat assessment Kahn made during the period became more optimistic, Kissinger would see Kahn's work as being fundamental in offering the new future to the people of the world. However, Henry Kissinger's vision of the world was not of the free and fair society advancing into the, quote, brave new world, unquote, together, but rather Kissinger intended to create an image of the world which had been skewed by his own CFR-driven establishment perspective. Although he would attempt to rebrand himself as a true statesman, Kissinger would continue to subvert not only foreign democratic processes, but also to undermine the American system for the eventual benefit of globalists agenda. When Schwab was first recognized by Kissinger as a political future globalist leader, the relatively young German would soon be introduced to Galbraith and Kahn. This would coincide with Kahn's work identifying the need to specifically train individuals with leadership potential separately from those who attend the prevailing standard educational models. In the in the year Klaus Schwab left Harvard, he was approached by Peter Schmidheini, who had just sold Eichar Wiss, the Sulzar Group. Eichar Wiss, Ravensburg's factory, World War II, had been managed by Schwab's father, Eugene Schwab, and had been involved in making of heavy water turbines for the secretive Nazi atomic bomb effort. Schwab speaks in the interview about the moment Schmidheini called him up saying, quote, you've come to Harvard now and you know modern management methods help to make the integration a success, unquote. What Klaus wouldn't mention in the interview is what would help Solzer and Eischer Eich, um, Weiss to merge, resulting in a new company called Solzer AG, that company where Schwab would serve as director, which would go on to breaking international law by aiding South African apartheid regimes in a legal thermonuclear bomb program. Klaus Schwab had only just left the sphere of influence of some of the most significant experts in thermonuclear war, and within the same year as leaving Harvard, he would head up the merger of a company dealing with the propagation of thermonuclear bomb technology to despotic regimes. For many of us who don't map out the terrifying extinction scenarios. We may be left believing that apartheid South Africa gaining the nuke at this point in history would be one of the worst things that could have happened. But Herman Kahn's thermonuclear disaster scenarios had led the rotund genius to believe that bearing a disaster sabotage for an accident, no major nuclear power would dare fire a thermonuclear weapon as an act of aggression for the foreseeable future. In fact, the establishment thinking had changed significantly to the point where Herman Kahn and others were advised that, in certain scenarios, making a country such as France a nuclear power could have a significant benefit to security both regionally and globally, whilst also helping to reduce U.S. defense spending. Thermonuclear war was no longer the be all end all of strategic defense policy, and it was a dying ember it was in the dying embers of nineteen sixty where the people who had caused all of the fear of thermonuclear apocalypse really did stop worrying and learnt to love the bomb. Now in the final section of the article here it's called Caution Fallible Humans Ahead. Is Klaus Schwab the real brains behind the formation of the economic the World Economic Forum? What are we to make of the CIA's involvement in the seminar Kissinger used to recruit Schwab? Were the powers that lurk behind organizations like the CFR the real founders of the globalist policymaking organization? Was the World Economic Forum meant to simply unite Europe? Or was it then actually meant to go on to unite Europe with America, followed by the remaining superstates into a world, a new world order, designed by a powerful CFR grandees like Kissinger, Kahn, and Calbraith? These three powerful men each saw in Schwab a reflection of their own intellectual desires. Klaus had been born in the latter half of the same decade in which the technocratic movement had begun, and he would come from the first generation to have their formative years in, post-world, in post-war world post world. Kahn's predictions in the future had not only been an exercise in human wonder, it had also been a project to make these predictions a reality as quick as possible, and regardless of the consequences. In 1964, Klaus Schwab would be trying to decide what he would be going to do with his career. He was 26 years old and looking for direction, and would find that direction from a familiar source. His father, Eugene Schwab, had been on the wrong side of history during World War II, and had been involved in the Nazi atomic bomb effort. Eugene Schwab would tell his son that it was only to be at Harvard where he'd truly be able to flourish. In a divided post-war Germany, the intense Fear came from ever-impending and well-dramatized threat of thermonuclear war, had become everyday part of the people's psyche. Harvard was was well-known at the time for playing a central role in Cold War policy, making targeting Europeans' affairs, and Klaus Schwab would put himself right in amongst the movers and shakers of the thermonuclear disaster scene. Whilst at Harvard, Schwab would attend Kissinger's, quote, international seminar, unquote, which was funded by the CIA via a known conduit. Through this process, Klaus Schwab would be introduced to a group of men who were actively trying to influence European public policy by and all methods, including using the fear of impending nuclear doom. They would recognize his, potentially, his potential straight away, so much so that they would be there for Schwab all through the founding of the World Economic Forum with Kahn, Kissinger, and Galbraith bringing perceived credibility to the project. It was not easy for Schwab to explain to the European elites what he intended to do, so he would bring Kahn and Galbraith to Europe to persuade other important players to become part of the project. Galbraith would be the first keynote speaker at the forum, and Kahn's presence also drawing significant interest. But the Second World Economic Forum would stall without the presence of bigger names, and Klaus Schwab knew he would need something to draw the crowds for the third installment of his forum's annual meeting. In 1972, the Club of Rome's founder, Aurelio Pace, had published his controversial book, The Limits to Growth, a book that had been commissioned by the Club of Rome, and which took on the Malthusian approach to overpopulation. And and as an excerpt here, the Malthusian approach is, uh, hey, you know, we're running low on hats, and we've got too many heads in the room, so rather than manufacture more hats, what we'll do is we'll start chopping off heads, and that will solve the problem of not having enough hats for these heads, right? So that's the malthusian approach in to overpopulation in a nutshell you know hey we're running out of resources we're not uh seeing that we we're not projecting that we're going to have enough resources so let's start reducing the population right that's the malthusian approach which was outlined um in the and uh, alluded to and you know hinged upon in the limits to growth book commissioned by the club of rome and uh that book has some very interesting quotes uh and you can definitely you know probably hear more about that and I think we did discuss that also as well in the Biopsy War. The book would call into question the sustainability of the global economic growth of Pache and would be and would be invited by Schwab to make the keynote speech at night at the nineteen seventy three World Economic Forum. This risque public relations strategy paid dividends for Schwab and his organization. From that point on, the forum would grow in size, scale, and power, but it all began with a CIA-funded course run by Kissinger at Harvard. Schwab has become more than just a technocrat. He has been the very vocal in his intention to fuse his psyche and biological entities with the future technology. He has become a living caricature of the evil Bond-like villain, conducting secretive meetings with the elites, high up on the mountain top uh, top chalets of Switzerland. Is it chalets? I do not think that the image we have of Schwab is an accident. In the post-war years, something very unique has happened in Western culture— when the government began using mainstream media as a tool to target the public with military grade psychological operations, the ruling establishment would discover that marrying all marrying the drama of conflict scenarios with media such as film would be extremely useful, almost akin to creating self propagating propaganda in some cases. Film like stamp films like Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove were fantastic vehicles for people to understand the absurdity of thermonuclear disaster scenarios planning. If people perceive you as an all-powerful evil villain, then you may not gain the support of the common man, but you will gain the attention of those who seek power and wealth, or how Klaus Schwab would refer to them as stakeholders in society. This is very important to understand. The projection of extreme wealth and power will attract and bring the stakeholders out of society, out of society to the World Economic Forum's table. With those stakeholders on board, Klaus Schwab's main ideolo- ideological product, stakeholder capitalism, will see the transfer of power away from true democratic processes into a system of governance by a small pre-selected leadership group. Who will be trained to continue the agenda set for them by the previous generation as predicted by Hermann Kahn. They will also, starting over, they will hold all the cards, whilst common people will be left with just illusory pseudo democratic processes, poverty, and constant absurd psychological operations to distract us all constantly. Klaus Schwab would soon. Become everything Hermann Kahn had feared during the most pessimistic predictions. When the Club of Rome produced quote, the Limits to Growth unquote, report, Hermann Kahn would refute its findings and rally against its pessimism, whilst all the same time Klaus Schwab would make it central to his machinations and have their founder be the keynote speaker at his forum in Davos. Our current geopolitical situation is seemingly regressing back to the East versus West dynamic of the Cold War era again. The recent events in Ukraine, the mainstream media is regurgitating nuclear talking points which are completely paralleled to those of the 60s and 70s years ago. I believe that there is a very obvious reason for our return to the Cold War rhetoric. It is a very obvious sign that Klaus Schwab and his backers are out of ideas they appear to be returning to a geopolitical paradigm in which they feel safer, and most importantly, which will cause mass fear and of thermonuclear war. The rinse and repeat cycle will always happen once an ideological movement is running out of original ideas. Since the late 1960s, Klaus Schwab has been trying to create the world which Hermann Kahn predicted, but Kahn's vision of the future, even though pretty accurate, is over half a century old. Schwab's technocratic movement depends on the successful development of, initiative technologies, of innovative technologies, which will advance us towards a vision largely manufactured in 1967. Just by studying a more refined list of Kahn's predictions, you can see every idea which Schwab promotes is almost entirely based on Kahn's year 2000, and that documents vision of what our future may look like. Predictions dating back to the late 1960s. But what Schwab appears to ignore, whilst forcing futuristic agenda on all of us, is that many of Kahn's predictions were also combined with warnings of the dangers which will be created from the future technological advancements. As Schwab reaches the end of his life, he appears to be desperate to push forward for a radical futurist agenda with the obvious potential for global disaster. I believe that the World Economic Forum is reaching its maximum level of expansion before its inevitable collapse, because eventually those people who love their own national identities will stand up against the immediate threat to their specific culture, and they will fight back against the globalist rule. Quite simply, you cannot make everyone a globalist, no matter how much brainwashing is applied. There are natural contradictions between national freedom and globalist rule, which makes up which make the two completely incompatible. As a very pertinent final thought, Herman Kahn would write something extremely significant during the same year in which Schwab would leave Harvard. In the aforementioned Hudson Institute document of 1967 entitled Ancillary Pilot Study for the Educational Policy Research Program Final Report, Kahn writes, it has become increasingly clear that our technology and even our economic achievements are mixed blessings. Through progress, issues arise such as accumulation, augmentation, and proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, the loss of privacy and solitude, and increase of governments and or private power over individuals, the loss of human scale and perspective and the dehumanization of social life, or even the psychological self. The growth of dangerously vulnerable, deceptive, or degradable centralizations of administrative or technological systems, the creations of other new capabilities so inherently dangerous as to seriously risk disastrous abuse and the acceleration of changes that are too rapid to, or cataclysmic, to permit successful adjustments. Perhaps most crucial choices are posed that are too large, complex, important, uncertain, or comprehensive to be safely left to fallible humans. And that is the end of the article by Johnny Venmore. And uh, the article that the video that we started, the second video that we started today out with, was inspired by, not the J.P. Sears one, but the Greg Reese video. He mentions that article right in the beginning of that video. If you go back and listen, definitely some things to keep in mind and follow up on there. I'm I'm interested in looking at uh, Khan's year 2000 book and seeing how many things in there, you know, are really being discussed today. And it sounds like that a lot of the talking points and uh, scripts that they're reading are coming from those ideas. And uh, there's also some other articles that I found that are like the 10 most dystopian things pushed by the World Economic Forum. Uh, Number one, penetrating governments. Um, You've heard Klaus openly admit that that's what he's trying to do is uh, penetrate an infiltration of the world economic cabinets. Um, There's plenty more to go into. I mean, we could go all day. We could do a whole series just on this information, Right. Um, so much to discuss, but the point is, is that in freedoms rising or in even the what we could call the greater picture for freedom and the loss of potential human freedom as that eerie warning at the end exposed that the downside of all this great advancement in technology is that the technocratic dictatorship control system can use these tools to advance their agenda And if we're sort of like fishbowl mentality, you know, just interested in the social media and the latest thing that the the mind control box is telling us on the TV and not understanding these bigger agendas are all using the technology in order to push forward a push for more global governance as seen in the image of the Council on Foreign Relations of the Royal Institute of International Affairs of the Cecil Rhodes Anglo-American establishment roundtable movements which are in some cases quite racist in some cases quite malthusian and these techniques come about as talking about saving the planet and the climate and worried about how uh, sustainable development and worried about you know the uh carbon footprints and uh, we need to you know this is the language being used now by the people who are seeking to control uh you know in some cases depopulate in some cases uh just you know kind of keep the Overton window shifting and the limited hangout playing along, so we don't ever really understand why we're in the situation that we're in or what you know the loss of human freedom at a rapid rate in which you know we go into this strange weird technological dystopia where we merge with the robots and never ever incorporate the principles of freedom into this next sort of devolution of humanity uh, going into the matrix is really what it seems like. And, you know, being in a position where we are plugged in like that and don't realize that we're total slaves, right? That's what the podcast Freedoms Rising and the series is about avoiding. And that's why we've gone into today things that don't seem necessarily totally on topic maybe with what we've been discussing before, but going back to that duality, I mean, we can't only focus on freedoms rising. We have to focus on why freedom needs to rise. We have to focus on what freedom needs to do to rise and exposing this information is part of the mission and part of what we're attempting to do here with this podcast and with this series. Now, along with that and a sort of warning for the future and warning for uh, people to get their head out of their ass and start to wake the fuck up about uh, what's going on with the economy and starting to get prepared, as we've been talking about quite a bit with the um, clips from the Self-Reliance Festival, and we'll be talking about more in the future as well, because it's not just about the big, scary, you know, global government, uh, globalists that are coming over and taking over everything, and it's not just about, you know... Hoorah, yeah, cheerleading, cheerleading, freedom's rising and freedom's rising on up. But it's also about getting prepared, you know. A lot of the things that we need to do to prepare maybe don't even cost a lot of money. We just need to get into action, into doing them, into having a habit of preparedness and assessing our situation, even just to make sure there's enough food on the shelf to get us through or a plan to produce the food if we need to, you know, budget through a hard time. And, uh, you know, managing your personal finances properly is as, as boring and, you know, geeky as that sounds. That's a really big part of personal preparedness, of freedom, of self-responsibility, and uh, living in the real world as we see it and as we are in now today. Even though it is a debt-based society and a debt-based economy and your labor is the human capital that keeps the whole thing afloat and your belief and support in that system doesn't mean that we still don't have families we still don't have rents we still don't have you know mortgages in some cases or you know the future to plan for and so we have to manage our finances properly as well and uh talking about these topics and getting into that will be the conversation that we're about to jump into between uh tim pachot and josh segerson of world alternative media and uh The show that we're going to play is called The Fed Announces the Death of America. Hyperinflation is coming. This is the final nail in the coffin. And uh, exciting title there. And we do have uh, some time to go into that clip. So before the episode drags on too long and before the weekend here, I will say goodbye from Tyler Bloyer from freedomsrising.com, from tylerbloyer.com. Also, you can find us now on Rumble. I went ahead today and synced my videos over to that account, and it looks like most of them have sunk over. Maybe not the whole history of all of the videos that I've made, but at least the last couple years of videos appear to now be available on Rumble. And uh, I caught an episode last night of Timcast where the creators of Rumble were on the show, and I finally said, you know what? I better just go ahead and get on Rumble. That sounds like a good platform with a good... uh, good ideals and a good strategy and uh, I like some of the ideas of the infrastructure that they'll be offering for people to use not just for video hosting but for other services that sounds really cool and just the fact that they're more free speech oriented and uh, don't plan to you know play games with people's livelihood or the audiences that they've built up on these platforms over time Uh, as you know I'm Building freedoms rising. I'm building tylerbloyer.com. These are the platforms I focus on with the Web3 backends, with the unstoppable domains. I'm not going to go pimp like Rockfin or Rumble or YouTube over just what we're trying to do here. Now, some of those things like Telegram and Discord are, are just new for freedoms rising, they're not totally built out. If you go to tylerbloyer.com, you can hop into my Discord, which has uh, more people in it. Would like some more activity, questions, and interaction from the audience. So feel free to drop your links or questions you have for the show in those places or just email me at tyler at tylerbloyer.com. And uh, we will get ready for clips that might come out of the upcoming Pork Fest next week, Pork Fest, uh, June 20th through the 26th. The next thing after that that I can see on the board is the Permaculture and Technology Jamboree from June 27th through July 9th. Pretty sure you'd have to sign up for that in advance. And uh, then after that, the Jackalope Freedom Festival, which Freedoms Rising will be attending, as well as some r mateys. And you can fly your black flag mateys and meet us there at the Freedoms Rising Summit in Jackalope Freedom Festival. Those who have been to Freedoms Rising last year and met us might know what I'm talking about a little bit, but we had a good old time and we're planning on doing a similar thing this year, so we'll see you there for those that are attending Jackalope. Find out other upcoming events in the show notes as well, and next week I will be getting back into the swing once we get back from Cassandra's birthday traveling, so may not have a show Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll get some content out there. And for those listening in the future, probably doesn't even matter. And you're not even concerned about the lapse in content. But we will try to start to fill in blanks of times where there will be periods of not being producing the series or from tylerblur.com. Anyways, we'll leave it there. Let's get into this clip from Tim and John. And that will exit the show. And then uh, the song from uh, Natalie Rise, we'll close it out with... Uh, warriors, which I feel like is sort of a good theme song until we find a different one or a better one or a, you know, another change it up moment where we find music to play at the end. But other than that, everyone have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Hey
4: everybody, Josh Sigurdsson of World Alternative Media here, and we're joined by Tim Pachot, the Liberty Advisor, Advisor thelibertyadvisor.com. He's a certified financial planner. My friends, uh, we just got news from the Federal Reserve. They have just essentially announced the death of America, not that uh, the United States wasn't already taken over by international bankers going back, well, uh, to the 1790s, essentially. But the point is, they have basically done the deciding blow to the american economy uh jerome powell today as i speak it'll be out the next day either way the point is jerome powell made this announcement Um, that uh, essentially they were right. They are raising interest rates 75 basis points. And on top of that, there is talk of possibly raising interest rates again quite significantly in the near future, Um, though they try to dodge around that issue and try and make it sound like everything is going to be fine. We're going to fix this issue. The reality is they want to blame it on everything other than themselves. They want to blame it on Russia. They want to blame it even on Biden. And as bad as Biden might be, well, the Fed is the one that's printing the money. So again, it's down to them at the end of the day if they want to print insane amounts of money. And of course, this is having a huge effect on the stock market. This is having a huge effect on crypto. It's having a huge effect more than anything else on the everyday person when they go out and buy groceries for their family or they go and buy gas, for example. And they're claiming, you know, it's 8.6% inflation. We've already gone into that in our previous video. Um, the fact is, obviously, it's it's probably in the 20s at this point as far as percentage Points Go. But um, the point is, this is probably one of the most dramatically, ridiculously stupid things that could take place at this point in time after they printed 20 to 25 percent of all currency ever in existence in uh, the year 2020. And now it's all coming home to roost. Tim. Let's go into this a little bit. You watched uh, a good part of the um, announcement today and the speech by Jerome Powell. This, how is this going to affect the economy going forward? It seems like they're just going for broke at this point. This
5: is the bottom line and they're just throwing all their cards in the air. So about an hour from now, I've got a client presentation that I'm giving to basically delve into what is going on. And yesterday, as I was preparing for this, and I also in anticipation of what the Fed was going to do today, I really you know, decided to come up with the headline of, it doesn't matter what the Fed does. So, I mean, there's really two options that the Fed has to fight. So they can either decide to fight inflation or not fight inflation. So if they fight inflation, they have, you know, more sustained rate hikes of 75 basis points, which, you know, even last month, the Federal Reserve says that they're not going to do a 75 basis point rate hike. And here they are doing a 75 basis point rate hike, only one month after they said they wouldn't do it. And so they can d- choose to fight inflation. And I would, you know, I'll say fight in air quotes, because if they really wanted to fight it, they would, you know, do something like uh, Volcker did and actually raise rates by, you know, 300 basis points or 800 basis points at once to just really stamp this out. But, you know, they don't really want to do that. And so <laughs> at this point, if they do decide to fight inflation I mean you would probably see a stock market go down you know 80 percent 85 percent maybe 70 percent I mean who knows but you know it, but what would happen in, in that type of scenario is that you have so many different assets or in, in the stock market or just like you know real estate and other actual tangible assets are pledged as collateral to a various amounts of loans and then this would just create like this whole cascading spiral effect and then the Fed would in order to basically pay the government bills, would have to start buying bonds again, which would, you know, which... So, basically, in this scenario, if the Fed fights inflation, you'd see a massive decline, in my opinion, of the stock market of financial assets. But the bigger issue is that that would then... Also, if you have the, you know, the Fed keep raising rates, the bigger thing is that would blow up the debt bubble, then blowing up the debt bubble would probably then lead to the dollar losing reserve status, it would then lead to, uh, you know, basically a hyperinflation, if that were to happen, I mean, not if I mean, it's a matter of when I mean, page 72 of 75, of Klaus Schwab's Great Reset talks about uh, the fate of the US dollar and the fate of the US dollar is eventually ending it as the reserve. And, and I wanted to go into that a bit,
4: uh, Tim, because I think this is extremely important. This is obviously a control collapse. I mean, at, at the end of the day, look, um, yes, all of the things that the Fed have been doing for years, absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, it would any basic um, economist, anyone that just studies basic uh, economics would see, oh, actually printing insane amounts of money eventually is going to devalue that money. And eventually things will come home to roost and we're going to be in a, a crisis. However, it seems like now they're almost guiding it in that direction. They're like, we want that currency reset. We 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 want to um, be replaced as the um, reserve currency. We want to push towards this new world order currency, which also plays into the supply chain issue as well. It just seems like they want order out of chaos and they're using the right crisis to get into that. So with Powell saying 75 basis points and potentially we could see it uh, another 150 to 75 or whatever it might be in the coming decisions over the next year, Again, this crisis is going to basically be a finishing blow. I don't know how they could possibly come back from this long term, say, two to five years out with the, the state of the, the economy right now. It just seems like we're getting to that precipice. And then that leads to a global currency system, probably great reset like uh, digital currency system. So what do you think? I mean, uh, is this basically the end of the line for the dollar um, if, if we're going to zoom out a little bit over the next few years?
5: I mean, everything is a confidence game. And even today during the press conference, someone uh, at one point asked him about the credibility. He's like, well, I'd like to say something along the lines of I'd like to think we still have credibility. I mean, so when you're saying, you know, I'd like to think we still have credibility, that means that you've lost credibility when your entire game is a confidence game. So we were talking about, you know, what is behind door number one. So we've got two doors. Door number one is fighting inflation. And so – The bigger thing is that with raising the interest rates would absolutely collapse the bond prices. It's really the bonds that then are the ones that are really holding everything up. Because bonds represent debt. And this is a a completely debt-based economy, a debt-based Ponzi scheme. And then if you blow up the entire debt market, then basically the dollar collapses. Then the Fed has to start monetizing the debt, start printing money. That creates a hyperinflation. And that's door number one. Uh, Door number two is basically we skip all the bullshit I just mentioned and we just get right back into printing money after this pretend phase, and then uh, it also leads to hyperinflation. So really both roads, whether they fight it or don't fight it, whether they have 50 basis points or 75 basis points or 100 basis points, it really doesn't matter. Now, he did, for whatever it's worth, Paul did come out today and say that they're more than likely going to have Uh, you know, probably a 50 basis point rate hike, but they they are leaving 75 on the table, but more than likely it would be 50. But then again, last month, he said that they weren't going to do 75. And here we are doing 75. So really, the important thing is, it didn't matter what the Fed said, the Fed is already screwed. But the thing is, this is all of their own doing because they're not really screwed, because this is what they did to deliberately maneuver us into the situation. So then that way, they can use order out of chaos control the collapse and then get everyone on a central bank digital currency and then while we're talking about central bank digital currencies which is basically uh you know the federal reserve like version of bitcoin where they control what the protocol is they control how much is minted into existence they can control whether or not you can then send buy sell receive and so it's basically like bitcoin uh, like the worst nightmare version of that at the government level and speaking of bitcoin if you were complaining six months ago or a year ago or a year and a half ago oh i wish i got in at lower prices and you're not getting in right now, well, then you deserve to get in at much higher prices down the road. And obviously at this point, you know, you can come out and say, oh, well, I can't believe this guy's talking about Bitcoin. Well, you know, it's not an easy thing to talk about well, at this but, point. But
4: that's the thing. I mean, we're talking about the creation of a centrally planned global cash society. And actually one of the ways, in my opinion, to get out of that is actually a decentralized, in my opinion, privacy-oriented uh, cryptocurrency and, um, uh, you know, blockchain infrastructure technology. And I think that's extremely important going forward. And yeah, people always complain about... Uh, uh, well like basically they want to buy when bitcoin's high and sell when it's low and that's the opposite of do the opposite of what most people are doing in my opinion that's how i usually am successful in such things but again <clears throat> The road leads to the new world order, and that is where they are. I mean, with everything culminating at the same time from war, and which, by the way, definitely plays into this currency reset agenda, um, the Russia-Ukraine thing, totally Israel swapping out of um, Russian or uh, out of US dollars into um, Chinese yuan, while um, at the same time, we see this shift uh, with Saudi Arabia. We see, uh, there's so many examples of how the, the currency system worldwide is shifting, and they use a crisis to do that. At the same time, the gun grabs, the, the pandemic, the eugenics operations, then you have the supply chain, then you have recession, then you have inflation, then you have in interest rates. All this stuff is culminating to one goal at the end of the day, which is to control you more. And again, this has been the agenda for a long time, and they want technocracy, they want a social credit system tied to uh, digital currency that ties to your taxes, that ties to your ability to drive from point A to point B, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera food rations, free homes, uh, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. So again, this is extremely uh, important to understand that this is one of the big blows to the original economy that is now shifting into the new New World Order, which we are on the cusp of. So again, it's about what you do next. And I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that the US dollar, uh, they're not gonna, uh, look at the, the timeline of most World Reserve currencies, Um, I mean, the U.S. dollar is basically breaking the uh, timeline, essentially, for how long something can stay a world reserve currency. Um, And we are obviously on the cusp of a huge crisis. And anyone could tell you that when they go out to buy groceries. I mean, how could anyone go to the store now and be like, oh, this is normal, Uh, uh, you know, a boxed, uh, you know, frozen pizza is $14. It's like, that used to be just in my childhood, like three or $4. I mean, uh, if we are at the point where the prices are going up that much in uh, one generation, then we should be really concerned about where it's going to go next. And I think what happens next, again, is a crisis, the right crisis, as Henry Kissinger says, to bring us into that new world order. And that new world order is going to be based in transhumanism technocracy, and it's going to be anti-human. They want to destroy the um, empathy and consciousness of human beings. And one of the great ways to do that is to pull the rug out from under you when it comes to the global currency system so um, this decision i think will be marked down as a historical moment for the u.s dollar and the move towards a new system and they know there's no actually saving it or else they wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now they know that there's no way to get around the inevitable here so they'll do what they can to also blame it on other people they'll blame it on putin they'll blame it on whatever they need to blame it on they'll blame it on china perhaps even though china has always been very competitive in. their sense of actually um, creating as much inflation as they can to make their country more competitive in the global market of currencies. So, we're on the cusp of something very evil here. So these decisions, I think, we'll come back to in several years and be able to say, wow, if, if only we listened to you know, these independent medias that have been talking about this for all these years and got in some way self-sustainable outside of the banking system, outside of the fiat currency system, maybe we'd be in a better position. So again, Tim is at the Liberty and the LibertyAdvisorShow.com as well.
5: And let's just talk about, you know, a few different solutions. Now, because of the SEC and different laws governing the body, I can't give like exact percentages, but, you know, for right now, like what you could do, at least if you're in America or depending where you're at, if you have large IRAs, large 401ks, if they allow you to then, you know, move, shift some of that into commodities, that's something, you know, we're pretty heavy into and actually looking at getting even heavier. Uh, we also have, you know, a pretty good cash position. I do have a crypto position because I am long-term very bullish on that. But I also did say that, hey, you know, I you know, months ago said, you know, this could go down 80% to 13,000. But I know at the end of the day, there's going to be a hyperinflation. So I'm not really I'm just trying to stack and dollar cost average into these uh, types of periods because I'm playing for the Great Reset when the music stops, not necessarily playing for the fifth inning. And so what worked at the beginning stages of this crisis being in cash is going to be the worst thing at the end of the crisis. And so you know, with that said, in case I'm wrong, we do have you know relatively large cash position, do have relatively large uh, you know, commodity position, have like a tiny bit in the general stock market, but that is you know, we've, you know, pretty much like hedged in terms of what we have going on right this second. And, you know, and precious metals, obviously. But, you know, with that said, I was talking about, you know, you can also do other things like if you have an IRA, you could convert some of that into a Roth IRA, then all the gains then are tax free. So I help pioneer getting crypto into IRAs. And we still have some clients that are massively on that because the only clients that are massively on that were the ones who invested into crisis-y periods like right now. Because unfortunately, the only time people call me to do things like that is when it's at like 60,000 or 69,000 and it's a mania. And uh, I'm thinking of one guy in particular who... You know, called me right at the height of 2018, then called me right, at the, or maybe 2017, then called me at the height of this one as well. So I should really time about Bitcoin. Yeah, I should use that as the as maybe the uh, the indicator of when it's yeah. time to sell. But you know, we are planning for the Great Reset, and you know, there's many different ways to try to play this. But unfortunately, you know, if depending on how your portfolio is positioned, you could be when the music stops having permanent losses that you're never going to recover from. So if you are in bonds and you're in like a 20 year bond and rates go up 3%, you're down 60%, you know, you're getting like 2% interest, maybe, maybe 1% because you bought it a couple years ago uh, and all the interest you've gotten over the last 10 years and many times more has all been wiped out. And so by the time you get your money back, all the horses are going to be out of the barn. So bonds, long-term bonds, intermediate term bonds are going to be permanent losses, being in cash because a lot of people, even in the Liberty community want to go hundred percent in the cash. Well, if you don't have the guts to basically, uh, you know, get in when things are really, really bad. Like when you've got like the Time Magazine cover of March 2009 of, you know, them holding on to like a string that's falling off a cliff, that's always the best time to get into something. And then, you know, this what you should do also depends on your age as well. So if you are in retirement, about to retire, just retired, there's other things you can do for that. And one of the things that would be contacting someone like myself to, you know, go through different options that you would have to create income. But then you also have to have other options to be able to make Make it through, uh, you know, this massive inflation that we're going to see. In my opinion, an eventual hyperinflation, and the three biggest drivers of hyperinflation have not even occurred yet. The biggest would be losing the dollar as reserve status. I mean, typically, most uh, you know those systems are only around for forty years. The last major change was August of nineteen seventy-one with Nixon getting off the gold standard. So, was that fifty-one years ago? So, we are overdue historically in line for that. Number two biggest cause of inflation obviously, besides, you know, massive money printing would, <clears throat> would also be uh, money velocity. And right now, money velocity is super, super low. And then, uh, and these aren't really in any order here, I guess, you know, number one would be uh, the dollar is reserve crisis, uh, reserve uh, currency, and then also the dollar getting, uh, getting weaker. Now, the dollar is actually getting much stronger relative to other currencies. And so race to the bottom. And so the, really the three biggest, you know, uh, you know, drivers to really nail, This country home, when it comes to inflation, are all actually working you know, towards uh, decreasing inflation. So what happens when those shift from decreasing inflation to increasing inflation? And then they're going to, you know, these are going to then seem like they're the good time. So eventually all roads lead to hyperinflation, whether the Fed fights inflation or doesn't fight inflation, they're completely screwed because if they do fight inflation, just recapping real quickly, it's going to tank everything. And then they're going to be forced, you know, when the debt bubble blows up, they're going to be forced to monetize. And then that's going to create a hyperinflation or they uh, don't pretend to fight inflation. And, you know, we skip everything else and we go right to hyperinflation. Inflation. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be tomorrow, this, you know, because honestly, I thought some of the stuff would have happened years ago. I'm sure a lot of you guys probably thought it was going to happen years ago. But, you know, there are things you can do. You know, some of the things Josh has been doing is you know, I've, I've been put two different offers on different like super off grid remote properties and amazingly have been, you know, outbid going over the price on these. So, you know, it shows that other people are. You know, maybe looking to get off grid as well, because when this breaks down, it's going to make 2020 look like a picnic, make it look like a walk in the park. When all of a sudden, uh, and then eventually, you know, under that door number one scenario of of the Fed fighting inflation, there's going to be massive layoffs. uh, Manufacturing facilities are going to be shuttered just like they were for 2020, and then you're going to see inflation pick up just because the demands and the actual goods and supplies aren't going to be there at any price, which is obviously going to then, you know. Go right into the inflation category. So, either way, uh, all roads lead to tyranny, all roads lead to hyperinflation. And a lot of this actually was all set up by a g- guy named Cecil Rhodes, but that's a whole nother, uh, whole nother. Uh, story. Well, absolutely. And uh, this is one of the final nails in the coffin, I believe that will
4: lead to all the things that you mentioned. And I think uh, it's extremely important that people understand that. Of course, um, you mentioned like putting uh, offers in on on properties and everything. In a survival situation, in a crisis, there's obviously going to be increased demand for certain things like what we also see when it comes to guns like flying off the shelves right now. And it's hard to get them shipped in right now because, well, everyone wants to buy one in a crisis because they always wait until the moment when it happens, when it hits. That's why it's always good that in, when it when everything feels like sunshine and daisies, that's when you get prepared. But it doesn't mean you can't get prepared now. There's many ways that you could do this. First of all, if you want to have any um, help with your finances, of course, you could become a client of Tim Pichot at thelibertyadvisor.com if you are in the United States. And of course, um, I have many different ways that you can um, help support yourself in this crisis, which I have heirloom seeds that I'm selling at Uh, Heavensharvest.com, if you use code WAM, that's W-A-M, you will be able to uh, get free shipping inside the United States, which is not easy to get in the supply chain crisis that we're in right now. And of course, all that being a controlled collapse uh, on top of the economic controlled collapse and the end of an empire, which we are witnessing in front of us. Uh, There's also long-term storable foods there, survival resources, water filtration units, all sorts of different stuff, survival resources, gardening resources, et cetera. But very important to get your heirloom seeds, my friends. And we also have whamsurvival.com for long-term storable foods. I barely make much money off of, like, the storable foods and stuff like that. The The biggest issue with that is that if I could push people just a little bit further to actually take that kind of action, it could save lives later on, and that's what it's all, it's, it's worth it a um, hundred times over to get people to actually take that kind of action for their own life. Uh, it's an honor to have any um, say in pushing people over that edge to actually prepare themselves, because this is the war on humanity, this is a fight for humanity, this is a fight for survival, my friends, and If we're not already prepared, well, we've lost a lot of time, but there's still some time left to really just get in there and get as much resources as you can for yourself and for your family going forward.